0: So it's good to see everyone this morning. I'm so glad you're here to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus. Uh, Thank you, Almquist family, for helping prepare our sideways walkways um, for a safe entrance into the church family this morning and greeters and teachers. And I love being a part of the body of Christ. I really do. Um, Many of you have served different days, different times and, and different ways. And it really is the joy of my life to be uh, a part of the body of Christ, and I absolutely love being a part of this body of Christ, so i got to ask you a question: does uh, the anticipation of a new year energize you or make you feel tired and overextended already? right Maybe you could finish this phrase with me i can 't believe it 's twenty twenty four already right I, I I say this at the turn of the year. I've said recently to somebody, I can't believe it's December already. And I'm like, I say this every single year. I mean, it's math, folks. It just comes, and it keeps coming, and it keeps coming, right? I know you know that, too. And sometimes that's good. It's good uh, for a fresh start at times, right? Although we don't need a January 1st in order to have a fresh start with the Lord because God's mercies are new every morning. And as long as it is called today, which means as long as you're alive and breathing you are able to turn to Christ in whatever your situation, situation is today. But as I look around this room, I see a lot of hardworking men, a lot of hardworking women. Uh, whether you're, that work is at a job or work in your home, or maybe you're retired and you're a hardworking uh, neighbor or a friend or whatever the case might be. You guys are hardworking people. And I hear enough conversations that I hear you wanting to teach your kids, or maybe you have taught your children, and you're wanting to instill in your grandchildren a sense of diligence in work. That's great. That's good. And we need that. We need to continue in that. Uh, it's good. It's honorable, right? Maybe you've already prayed and thought through New Year's resolutions. I've never really been a New Year's resolution guy, you know, like I tried it once and then January 2nd came. You know it's true. It's true. Did you know that only 64% of New Year's resolutions last longer than the first month? Do you know that?
1: You guys are like, yeah,
0: I'm like right in that stat, right? And only 46% last longer than six months. Those are that's pretty dismal. But here's what I would say: if you're a New Year's resolution person, great, that's fine. Pray over them. Give them to the Lord, draw them from God's word, and under commit and over deliver. Right? I, I, don't hear me. I'm not saying don't set high goals and don't work hard for things. That's not the message. But you can live. We can live under the guilt of a resolution not accomplished. Like you can accomplish three out of four well, and then feel this pressure. I'm a loser because I didn't get them all done. I would say if you made progress in those few, praise God. If it's to God's glory. Because, see, we can also set New Year's resolutions that have nothing to do with the Lord. They may be good things, good goals, but sometimes what's good gets turned into God with a lowercase g. In other words, many of the good gifts that God gives us, we can turn them into idols. Things that we love disproportionately or out of place in our relationship with the Lord. Right? It doesn't mean you lose your salvation because that's not possible, but it doesn't mean that you don't get to repent and enjoy faithful walking with the Lord by his grace and mercy because you can. Over and over again, the Lord. Uh, beckons us to come home and just rest in him. And we can rest in him and work hard. We see all throughout the scriptures, hard workers who rested in the Lord. So I'm not saying there's no win in setting goals, there's no win in trying to go after things, right? By all means, do it. But do it in the context of your relationship with the Lord. But I will say this. I'd like to suggest one aspect, and if your powers of deduction are any good, you've already figured out what it is by the slide on the screen. One aspect, one blessing. I had that typed in as a spiritual discipline, and I'm like, if I say that, people are going to feel like, God, I've got to do that too. I don't mean it as that, but what I mean is God gives good gifts to his creation And he gives good gifts to his children, which are privileges. And that is to rest. Rest grows in the shade of a life of diligence. And while we need to be diligent in the privilege of work and the pursuit of good things that require physical and a spiritual sweat, biblically patterned rest is often a missing spiritual blessing in the life of many wholehearted followers of Christ. In other words, you're going after the Lord, and you're, you're spending time in the Word, and you're trying to accomplish great things for God's kingdom. But at some point, many people get to a point of Breaking. Now, that breaking looks like a lot of things. It might be a a spirit of defensiveness. It might be relational struggle that you just haven't gotten around to doing what needs to be done to work out your part of doing all you can do in working or bringing about peace in that relationship. It might mean that you're physically exhausted all the time and you can't seem to catch up an eight or a 10 or a 12 hour night of sleep or a day off or a couple days off or a week off. We just came back from Christmas and we're tired after visiting with family or driving on the road, right? We just spent a good bit of time driving to Maryland and back and had a wonderful time. But I'm going to tell you, we didn't come back feeling all rested and relaxed and refreshed. Right, My family is like a, a night owl family, so we're up till 12, 30, 1 o'clock, all you know, 20 of us in the house, and we sleep, and so my sleep patterns are off. These are all good things, but we don't often or we don't always come back rested. If you're an introvert, I mean like j- the holidays approaching, it's stressful to you. being Knowing that you're going to have to be with family, it's not that you don't love your family, you love your family, but it's tiring in a different way. For those of you who are introverts, or I mean, so I hear, I know nothing of this thing of which you speak, introverts. (laughs) If you're an extrovert, restraint is at times taxing and takes work. Point is, there's all kinds of work to be done, but rest grows in the shade of a life of diligence. And so, while we do need to be diligent in these things, um, biblically patterned rest is a missing spiritual blessing in the life of many. There might be two reasons for this. Well, there, there are probably many reasons for this. I'll just list a couple. Maybe no one has ever taught you the biblical pattern of diligence in rest for God's glory. Rest for God's glory means finding refreshment in the blessing and the privilege of this biblically patterned rest, which is also for God's glory and for the enjoyment of your soul. Right? Maybe no one ever taught that to you. Or maybe you heard people verbalize it, but never live it out in front of you. I shouldn't say never but with any level of consistency. Or maybe you're struggling to rest because you're working so hard at so many things, possibly too many things. Possibly you're engaged in trying to do too many good things that are biblical, but they're not all for you. Okay? Now, there's a challenge here. We go through seasons. Sometimes we go through, you know, a couple weeks or a couple months, sometimes a year where... Life is just a lot, right? Uh, if you've ever had children, you don't typically think, oh, man, I love resting for the glory of God. You're like, rest? What is it? What is that? Right? At times, your job just takes a greater toll on you than at other times. Those, I'm not talking about these outliers, but they ought to be outliers. What we're talking about this next month is patterns. We're talking about a disposition for how we approach life, and we need to talk about rest. If you didn't get a copy of the the bulletin or the program for the, um, I think it's called In the Know, uh, for this month, a couple articles in there that we pray are a blessing to you. Got birthdays and anniversaries back in the bulletin again for you to, uh, I know that's helpful to some of you where it's all just in one package. So, but be sure to take advantage of that. There's some things that are in there that are helpful for you. But a couple articles um, that we pray would be a blessing to you that are sort of supplementary to this series. So maybe you're struggling to rest because you're working so hard at too many things, other wonderful gifts that God has given us. Uh, Maybe there's something that you need to stop in order to create a void for somebody else to step in. Ah, well, what if that doesn't happen? I mean, that, that could be your entire life. What if this doesn't happen? What if it doesn't happen? Right. What if, it doesn't go, what if it doesn't go the way I think it ought to? And we step in and we step in and we step in and we step in. That can be as a neighbor. That can be as a spouse. That can be as a parent. That can be as a church member. It can be as an elder, as a deacon, as a pastor. All the way around. The key to the tension that I'm, identifying for, that I'm identifying for us this morning is this, biblically patterned rest. And you're going to hear me use that phrase a lot over the next month, biblically patterned rest. Now, some of you really are checklist people. Like you're like, I can't wait to hear the New Year's sermon this morning because it's going to give me lots of advice on how to go conquer all the mountains that I want to conquer, you know, No, I'm not going to give you a list of things. I'll suggest some things over the course of the next several weeks. But this morning, we're really walking into this series slowly, which is interesting because I don't feel like we have time to. Uh, Isn't that ironic? But we're walking into this slowly with a couple of foundations before we really get into rest. Some of you are waiting for me to say certain things. I probably won't say them. And because I'm not omniscient, I'm not going to commit to that because I have no idea what you're thinking right now. (laughs) Some of you are hoping I won't say certain things. I'm probably going to say them. Maybe something that's good in your life that is a gift from God has become a lowercase g, God or idol in your life. Right? I mean, this is a this tension's a problem that we see in our culture and in Christianity because it reveals that we have lots of idols, lots of lowercase g functional gods in our lives that uh, have taken a place of prominence in our hearts that are beyond what the Lord has appointed for us. And so there's a real sense of discernment that I want to encourage you and myself, my family, to be seeking as we. Talk about rest this month. Some of you don't like the topic of rest at all. Because you're just a hard worker. You're like, just this conversation is a waste of time. Let me go so I can work. You need to hear this. We need to hear this. When Paul was shepherding the church at Corinth, uh, he wrote a few letters to them. They wrote back to him. And one of those letters that we have is in 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 10, uh, Paul answers a question. questions that they were asking about idolatry now now this isn't a passage about sabbath rest this is a passage about food and idols and buying food in the marketplace and what can i eat and what can i not eat and they're kind of pointing the finger at people are getting frustrated they're confused they're like how are we supposed to navigate this and so he's addressing that main concern essentially what he concludes is this as followers of christ have no part with the evil of idolatry. Have no part of it. But since idols are nothing, the sin actually comes from whether we're entering into the worship of idolatry with the food that we're talking about with people. So since idols are nothing, don't participate in the idol worship, but the food that has to do with idol worship really doesn't matter because God has given us everything as good. And so there's nothing wrong with the food itself. So eat whatever's sold in the marketplace and be sensitive to how your neighbor perceives your decisions. In other words, if you've got a neighbor who worships a false god and sacrifices using a a particular form of food, and they're coming over to your house for dinner, you might not want to serve that, because it might be confusing to them. But he doesn't give a list of certain foods. Or if you go over to their house, they invite you over and you're having a meal with them and that's what they serve. You know, if your conscience is clear, you can eat that. It's, it's no harm, no foul because it's not a idolatry worship service. That's the high level, 30,000 foot view of what he's getting at. Uh, but he's saying, here's the key, right? Be sensitive to how your neighbor perceives your decisions, okay? But also don't let their weak conscience hinder you from living how God has called you to live and the freedom that God has given you uh, to live. So so use wisdom. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So let each one seek his own good, not his own good. I'm sorry. Let no one seek his own good, but, but the good of his neighbor. And so after a little bit more explanation, he concludes as he pivots to a new topic with this statement. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, we're in the uh, whatever you do phrase. Do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many that they may be saved. Do you hear, I should finish reading this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Do you hear, it's just gushing out of him, everything I do is to live in such a way that others might know the grace of God in Jesus Christ that I've experienced and that I want them to experience. So if I'm having somebody over and uh, I'm getting ready to serve something that I realize might be a stumbling block to that person, I have the freedom just to say, I don't need to serve that, I'll just serve something else. Because God's made a lot, a lot of good food, right? If they have me over and that's what they're serving, well, that's fine. I'm not participating in the worship service with them. I'm just eating as a gracious guest what they put before me. Why? That they might be saved. That our relationship that's being cultivated might lead to an understanding of the grace of God in Jesus and that they might repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins. And so he says to the church, so imitate me as I follow Christ. So that's the aim. This is really a a life verse, right? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so as those who seek to be Wholehearted followers of Christ, we need to learn to rest in God so that we might learn to do everything for His glory. Wholehearted followers of Christ need to rest to the glory of God. Now that might sound confusing. That might sound even a little bit of, a little bit off isn't rest laziness no god has given us rest and so as wholehearted followers of christ we need to learn how to rest to the glory of god I need to learn to rest to the glory of God. Would you say that phrase with me? I need to learn to rest to the glory of God. Another way of saying it is wholehearted followers of Christ need biblically patterned rest to live to the glory of God. So two main points that, that need to be our, our foundation or our launch pad, honestly, for any and every series, but especially this one as we talk about rest and as we move into a new year. Number one, resolve to live to the glory of God by God's grace and in his strength. That almost became my entire sermon this morning. And the second point is trust God's word in communicating God's best for our lives. Because uh, I I would guess that these two points address a myriad of issues in our lives. Maybe we seek to be good people, kind people, good neighbors, good churchgoers. But that can, can be a far cry different than saying, I resolve to live my life every day to God's glory by His grace, which means by His unearned favor and kindness, and in His strength. Ah, there it is. In His strength. Right, more important than a a daily decision, a uh, daily—I'm sorry—more important than New Year's resolutions, whether regardless of how well or poorly you think you're keeping them, is a, a, a daily decision. It's really a daily submission, a trust to live to God's glory. We say, "I don't know what the day holds for me today. I don't know what's coming my way, but Lord, whatever it is, I resolve." That means I decide. I commit to live to your glory. That means to live my life as a signpost pointing to how wonderful you are. Not because of what I have, but because you've saved me. I don't need anything to stand up and point to others and say, God is so amazing. And not just any God. But the creator of the universe, who gave his only son, Jesus, so that whoever might believe in him, whoever trusts him for salvation, would be saved and have everlasting life. That's why we exist. That's why our hearts beat. It's why our lungs work, so that we can live to point others to the glory of God. Not so that we can live to point others to say, look how awesome I am. Paul didn't say, look how awesome I am. He said, I've got nothing. And everything that I would count as gain, I count it as loss. May Christ be all, and I be nothing. This is my hope. So we need a daily submission, a trust to live to God's glory. You can can almost... (laughs) I'm not going to commit fully to this statement. You can almost shut off the rest of the sermon. No, no, you can't leave yet. <laughs> but, but you can turn it off if we're at a point in the message and you say, I'm living for my glory. In other words, if I say as a pastor, I want to be known as one of the great pastors of Oak Grove Church so that people remember me, hang it up, Pastor Matt. Hang it up. I don't care. Sometimes I do and I have to repent. But I don't care if people remember my name. At the end of the day, I don't care if people remember Oak Grove Church. I care that people remember Jesus and that people look to Jesus who endures forever. Now, for now, we want people to know where to come to hear the name of Jesus, Oak Grove Church and other Jesus-preaching, faithful churches. We're not in competition, friends. We're partners on a sinking ship in this world. And so we say, come to Jesus day in and day out. And so if you're at a point you say, I don't even know if I'm living my life to the glory of God. Then just stop right there and say, here's my one application. God help me desire to live my days for your glory. Alone. Not to be the nice neighbor, not to be the great boss, not to be the star employee of the month 10 out of 12 times in the year. Not to have awesome grades so that I get into the best college or get the greatest internship or greatest opportunity as a farmhand so that I can grow up in the trade and learn, whether it's a trade or agriculture, not, not to be the best, but to do my best for God's glory. There's a difference, friends, in seeking to be the best than seeking to do your best. And God has called us to seek to do our best for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Why? Well, because of God, of who he is and what he's done for me in Christ through the Holy Spirit. I want to live my life to bring him glory. So this involves two things. Number one, submission to living to his glory. That's what we see in the end of verse 31 there. His aim was to impact as many people as he could with the gospel of Jesus. Right? He's not seeking his own advantage. In other words, he's like, I'm not out for my own opinion. And I'm not seeking my own step ahead of anybody else. I'm not seeking to look better than anybody else. I want to live in such a way that other people, by God's grace... Are drawn to his mercy. So that other people see a humble. And you can be confident in Christ. And humble. The Bible calls that meekness. Strength under control. I want to be a confident man of God. Woman of God. And I want to be humble. Because I want other people to see me. And have their eyes In sort of a way to glance off me to Jesus. To see what a wonderful God he is. But that means a submission to living to God's glory. And I want to tell you, you can do that as a five-year-old. You can do that as a 15-year-old. You can do that as a 25-year-old. You can do that as a 95-year-old. Or as a 100-year-old. There's something interesting uh, that we see. We see the same principle uh, elsewhere in Scripture, Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, this certainly isn't the only place we see this in Scripture. But God gives us a clear command. No little G's in our life. Just one capital G. One God. There's there's room for one God in our lives. And no others. Well, I only have these little five kind of pet things over here. No. One. Well, but what about my husband or what? Nope. One. No family member? No career? no ministry service, nothing save living your life to worship and glorify God, your creator, your savior, and your soon coming king. This is a a command to submit to live according to his will and his ways, which means living by his grace and his strength. So we submit to say, God, I want to live according to your will and your ways. By your grace and in your strength, First Peter four. When Peter is encouraging the church in much uh, tribulation and oncoming persecution, it's a tough book when you read through First Peter. And in the midst of this, he says, hey, look, look. The 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 end of all things is at hand. So be self controlled and be sober minded for the sake of your purse. Did you hear that? For the sake of It's not saying be self-controlled so that you can get all your New Year's resolutions. For the sake of your prayers, which are the best thing for you and for the body of Christ. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. And above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks, the oracles or the word of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength which God supplies in order that in everything, there's that word again, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So verse 10 highlights this principle for us, using our gifts to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. About a month ago, we did a brief series on biblical stewardship, on financial stewardship. Remember I was talking about money and you guys were like, yes, I love this. Let's keep talking about money. Oh, I can hear the groanings. It's okay. Now listen, one of the things that we, the subtitle of the series was Cultivating Wisdom. It's almost like it could be the subtitle to this series on rest, cultivating wisdom, or maybe cultivating faith, cultivating trust. Because as we learn to submit to God's will and ways, We cultivate wisdom. We cultivate, which means we we turn over the soil of our hearts and putting the lowercase g's in their place deep down or rooting them out, grabbing the weeds by their roots, the little g's by their roots, and pulling them out of our lives, casting it aside to be burned or sent to the dump. Why? Because we, we need nothing to get in our way of living for the glory of God. My uh, oldest son is learning how to drive. He's got his permit now. And um, he is doing such a great job. He's such a great driver, right? But he's 14 and a half so he's he's such a great 14 and a half year old driver. No, 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 I'm serious. I said to him one day, um, after we drove to his school in Cedar Rapids, and I said, "Braden, you did such a great job." Like, Dad, you tell me that every time. I'm like, because we're alive. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm I'm not making fun of him. Uh, he diz, he ha, he has done, and he is doing a great job. He's right where he ought to be. And so sometimes we're driving, and I'll say something to him like this. I'll say. Okay, Brayden, I'll explain this to you later, but right now what I need you to do is put on your left blinker, look over your left shoulder, and if you're able, if there's no car there, I need you to get into the left lane. Go. But that note, later. I don't have time to explain it right now. The situation calls for me saying, do these three steps, but you're the one that's looking to see if there's no car. And then get into the next lane. Okay, Dad. And then we'll talk about it. So here, let me tell you why I asked you to do that. Let me tell you why I didn't have time to explain it ahead of time. When, when God, who made everything, gave us his word, you can trust that he loves you enough to say, I'm giving you my word so that you can hear what I need to tell you. Trust me. When we look to God's word in faith, it's a demonstration of our trust in him. When we do not look to God's word in faith, it's a demonstration of our lack of trust in God. And every one of us, I believe, needs to hear that. So we need to trust God's word in communicating his best for our lives. To trust his word, you must trust him. That means you must believe that he's got your best interest, which is worshiping him first and foremost always in mind. It's really not about our best interest. I think what I mean to say, because that didn't come out right either. I think what I mean to say is, when we ask questions like, well, why do I need to do that? Well, because God is God and he's good. And so you should trust him for your best interest, which is him. And living for him. And living to the praise of the glory of his grace. And he communicates how we're to do this through his word. And his word includes much about biblically patterned rest lots of questions that are coming up right now i know old testament and new testament and commandments versus new commandments and sabbath rest versus resting in christ in our life and so we're going to look at all those things but i want to just as i as i wrap up in a minute i want i want to point out a couple things number one in exodus 20 verse 2 which we read a minute ago god said i am the lord your god who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I want you to see a pattern here. When God addresses his people, particularly in the Old Testament, he says, this is who I am. This is what I have done for you, which flows from who I am. Now, here's my word to you. And the implication is very clearly, go do it. It gets explicit as he begins to give specific commandments. This is who I am. This is what I have done for you. This is my word to you. If you wrestle with this, listen to your conversation this week. I would almost guarantee, mark it down. You will say, or at least, now maybe you'll catch yourself and be like, "Oh, I'm not going to prove it right. Maybe you'll think something along those lines. Like I do it all the time. I'm your dad, and I fill in the blank. Now, this is what I'm telling you to do. Right? What's implied in the conversation with my son and I as we're driving is this I have given you the lives of your younger brother, and your mom, and me, and you. Now, right now, I need you to turn on your blinker and look over your shoulder and get into the left lane if there's not a car, which only you can see better than I can right now. Now, that part doesn't translate over to our relationship with the Lord, but see where I'm going. Now, please, when you're ready, quickly go. Okay, Dad. But I don't have to explain all of that to him because he knows, because we have trust. This is who I am. This is what I've done for you. Now, here's my word to you. And so throughout his word, God has said, this is who I am. This is what I've done for you. Now, here's my word to you. So over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about biblically patterned rest, rest, which involves at least three Things. Number one, salvation rests in Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, you, you, you can't rest in Christ. You're, you're going to struggle. You're going to toil your entire life. And you'll waste your life when you could have salvation and rest from your own righteousness, righteous efforts, which are not Righteous. Salvation, rest in Christ. Spiritual rest from the cares of this world because we're trusting in God's sovereign goodness. And three, physical rest in a wise biblical pattern that honestly has quite a bit of freedom but does not have total freedom. But there's quite a bit of freedom. So before we close, I want to ask you these two questions. Are you resolved to live to the glory of God by His strength, by His grace, and in His strength? Because if you're not, nothing else matters. You might say, Lord, why why do I find that I think I want to live for You, but I find myself living for myself or my wife or my husband or my kids? I, I resolve... By your grace, because I know I can't do it on my own, to live for you. And in your strength, which you fully supply for those who trust you and walk in wisdom. And secondly, do you trust God by trusting his word to you? See, I'm going to lay out some pretty challenging truths over the next month. But at the end of the day, these are not my thoughts about rest. We're looking to what God says about how we're to live our lives in the shade of diligent work but learning to rest, biblically patterned rest for the glory of God. Ask yourself those couple questions. Am I resolved to live for God's glory and and do I trust God by trusting his word to me? And join me on this journey in the next few weeks as we look at how we experience biblically patterned rest for God's glory.